Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off for life of your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP. The TSA thinks photographers are terrorists. Olin Mills gets milked, and Nikon introduces a powerful point-and-shoot. It's Saturday, September 11th, 2010, and this is Cliff. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Joseph Lenashke and Derek Story. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you doing today, Frederick? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. A um, little jet lagged. I just flew back from the East Coast. And, uh, you know, coming back is harder than going, I got to tell you. I don't know why. I, I was Well, I guess I do know why. But I was Superman over there, and I come back, and I'm giving back all my superpowers. But... You see, it's all that partying you do before you get on the plane. You really got to cut that back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was all the wine I had on the plane. That's this is what I'm saying. Joseph is the travel junkie, so his I'm sure his body had, does not care what time zone he's in. It just operates perfectly, right? You know, it's funny as the the short time changes going east coast, west coast. Those are the hard ones. It's a lot easier for me to go to Europe or go to Asia, something like that. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But um, anyway, so Derek, what, what have what have you been up to? We haven't talked in a, in a little bit. No, I've been uh, I've been doing a lot of work for LowPro lately. I tell you, as their evangelist, so uh, they've kept me busy. We've got a lot of projects going on there. I'm getting ready to go to Photokina for Ooh, them. So, nice. Yeah, you know what? I have wanted to go for so long, and this is the first time I actually have gotten to go to Photokina. You know, because I I need someone to pay for me to go. I'm not yeah. Gonna, do it myself, right? <laughs> well, in that case, Derek, I will see you out there. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh, awesome. you're going too, Joseph? Oh, I am. Cool. So what? Do you, what? So we, describe for the folks that don't know. I mean, I know. I and I haven't been to Photokina, so I know that it's just the the extent of my knowledge is it's just gigantic, massive mecca of a photography trade show. Um, is that that's, accurate? That's a pretty darn good description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps that it's only every other year, so there's a lot of pent up. Um, you know, demand for it, and a lot of people get excited about it. It's kind of nice. It's a good show. Okay, cool. So, how does yeah. it how does it compare size wise to say something like a WPPI or you know one, one of the local one of the local <laughs> you put them all in <laughs> in Photokina? Really? Wow, is that big, huh? It's huge. Yeah. The the, the booth that uh, that I'm going to be you know work, I'm going to be doing uh, photography and video and stuff for for LowPro. Their booth is is bigger than my house. So. Wow, you know, it gives you you know sort of. Some well, that's idea. relative. I mean, Derek, I don't know. You may be in a six hundred square foot home, right? Well, no, it's, it's actually a cardboard box. But the point <laughs> is, it's a really big booth. Okay, wow, that, that's impressive. So, Joseph, you're going out there just to absorb what's there, or are you going to like for on assignment or what? It's a it's not assignment. It's uh, actually going out to promote Aperture Expert. Going to be distributing some literature on that. Try and get some European exposure out there and then of course going to take that as an opportunity to do a little little sightseeing and a little visiting a little vacation time in other words joseph has a lot of miles and he's going to burn some of them right? exactly <laughs> got it how did you guess <laughs> now i see the translation all right guys uh let's give a quick nod to our 
sponsor, or this show sponsor, it's uh, Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And we've been talking about them on the show for a while. Well, they've been sponsoring us for a while. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. They've got uh, the Flickr photo display capabilities where you can embed a Flickr stream into your, your Squarespace site and set it to be either a thumbnail view so people can click on it and see the larger version or a slideshow view so you can embed a slideshow into a page on your Squarespace site. We've got a Twitter widget so you can bring in a feed and then customize what that feed looks like when it's embedded in your site. And Joseph, you told me about this. They have this cool new iPhone app out that allows you to log in um, to your website. And what does that let you do? Can you look at stats and and make changes to the site and approve comments and all that stuff? Yeah, exactly. All those things. And the approving comments is the big one for me. I have comment moderation turned on on my Travel Junkie blog because I just get a lot of spam on there, but I don't require registration for people to comment. So comment moderation on there means I get a, a push notification the instant somebody comments. And, you know, I can approve that comment as quickly as I can pull up my phone and look it up, read it, and either approve it or mark it as spam. Very cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. That's, uh, that's very helpful. And does it, is it, does it have in-app notification? For, for example, if you, get a, if you get a comment, does the app let you know? Yeah, yeah, it pushes through. You get a badge and a pop-up that says you have one new comment. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, and then there's a you know, badge tally. It shows you how many unapproved comments you have or unread comments you have on there. Oh, that's very useful. Cool. That's really nice. All right, and um, you know, there's a there's I, I had no idea that there were just there's so much creativity out there in terms of Squarespace sites. You know, I was looking around and 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 there's a we're gonna put a link in the show notes. There's a uh, Squarespace.com has a is a little page up or has a page up with a bunch of examples that they you know just to give people inspiration and just to show you how far you can push a Squarespace site. And, you know, you've got you know we talk about Joseph's site ApertureExpert.com. A lot on the show is an example of a membership site, but they go all over the board from blogs all the way up to membership all over the place. So you can check those out at squarespace.com forward slash examples and get an idea of the kind of site that you could put together. And if you'd like a free trial, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. You don't need a credit card. You can build your website. And if you decide you like it, get this, you'll get 10% off for life. That's for life. I think your life. <laughs> it's like we got to be specific. You'll get 10% off for life when you enter the offer code TWIP. That's squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. Uh, now, Joseph, what have, what have you added to your site just before we move on from – so yeah, there's a there's something else that they just added on there. They actually have a, a blog, blog.squarespace.com, where you can keep it keep up on the, their latest features. And you know, there's these new Twitter uh, tweet buttons that have kind of come out, and then the Facebook like buttons that are now you're now able to put those on pretty much any site anywhere. Yeah, yep. And so they were trying to figure out how to do it, and the way that they've done it on their blog is they actually, you know, at the bottom of a, a blog entry, you can customize. For example, uh, you can say this blog is written by this person and it has this many comments, and you can have those little pieces that are added to the bottom. They've now added three custom HTML pieces that you you can customize, and then they've given you the code if you want to use them for Twitter or Facebook or anything else. They've actually given you the code. You just copy and paste it in and use those little custom nuggets. And now if you go back to uh, AperturExpert.com now, there's just as of a couple days ago, there's a whole new thing at the bottom of every post. There's a little tweet and a Facebook like button. Oh, very cool. Awesome. It's great. It definitely helps helps traffic flow. I've seen a, a remarkable increase in the number of tweets that you know the times that my blog posts or my entries there are retweeted, uh, just because of that. So it works. It's great to have. Now, Derek, on your on your digital story sites, do you are you uh, using social network integration on those? 
Uh, we pull in uh, my Twitter conversation, and uh, so that's that's running through uh, you know what we call a bucket uh, mm-hmm. there on the blog, and uh, I, I like it. You know, one reason why I like it, I I, I post every day, but uh, you know I tweet more, so it's you always kind of have something fresh up on the page. So I think the social networking stuff's real handy that way. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, guys, let's jump into the news right now. The first story up is about our friends over at the Transportation Security Administration, uh, a.k.a. TSA. For folks outside the United States, those are the folks inside the United States that uh, when you come into one of our airports, um, they're the folks that are running around making sure that you're not bringing stuff that you're not supposed to bring into and onto a plane, into an airport or onto a plane. Well, they've just published some posters that are uh, basically depicting us, we photographers, kind of as terrorists. And I'm looking at I'm looking at an image now, and it's a photo. I mean, first of all, the the bottom of the photo is in red, right? So it's like you know, this blood red color. Warning, warning, warning. And then above it, it's got a picture of like this this guy with a camera standing behind a chain link barbed wire fence, taking a picture of someone's private jet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I shouldn't have been wearing the hoodie that day. You know, I think. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. I mean, but this is, I, I see where they were going with this, you know, but there are a million different directions they could have gone instead of, you know, putting a guy with a hoodie on taking a picture of an airplane. Joseph, you know, do you think, what <laughs> What do you think about this? I know you have some comments. I know you have comments. Me? Yeah, you. Have an opinion on this? I can't imagine. <laughs> it's it's beyond, beyond ludicrous. The, the, stupidest thing about it the most ridiculous thing is that if a terrorist is going to take a picture of some sensitive structure because they're going to plan an attack on it do you really think they're going to stand out there with a 70 to 200 mil lens and an icon d3 and just be the most obvious photographer in the world no they're going to take a picture of their camera phone i mean come on yeah this is just silly no terrorist i think has ever taken a picture of something with a big long lens like that standing out in the middle of public it's just crazy yeah it's or they'll, they'll wear they'll, they'll put on a hoodie with a scarlet letter t on it just to be identified <laughs> <laughs> or, you know there was a spoof article uh, in there's this bbc spoof site and uh, this was a couple of weeks ago and it said that the headline was a terrorist are tired of being treated like photographers <laughs> nice nice derek uh what, what do you think about this i know you you have some opinions as well well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not just the airplanes and stuff. It's this is like Golden Gate Bridge. This is, I mean, all, I mean, certain buildings, uh, and, and it's as a photographer to keep up on, you know, what is the taboo thing and what isn't is uh, not such an easy task. And my question has always been, uh, you know, what exactly? I mean, what exactly are they afraid of? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I'm not a hundred percent clear on that. I mean, even if I took a picture of an airplane. Uh, uh, okay, I have a picture of an airplane. I mean, I don't really understand, you know, how that fits into the whole terrorist plot. Are, are they thinking that maybe there's some high-tech, you know, 70 to 200-looking rocket launchers that you get some, you know? Well, yeah, now, if we were going to, you know, shoot something at it, then, uh, then yeah, okay, I get that. Right. But uh, I don't understand the whole part of taking a picture. For instance, with things such as let's, let's take the Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. okay, for example, uh, or any bridge, things such as Google Maps and so forth. I mean, I can zoom in and look at any part of the Golden Gate Bridge or any other structure in the U.S. right now, just sitting at my laptop. I don't have to go out and take a picture of it. 
So why why would they hassle me for taking a picture of the bridge? It, you know, is this the whole thing? You know, we should have someone on the show that you know is an advocate of this, so they could explain it to us because it makes no sense. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just you know spreading the fear, uncertainty, and doubt to keep everybody away. You know, well I, that could be a big part of it. I yeah. mean, you know, it could be in the same idiotic category as you know we have to turn off our iPod. You know, when we're when we're taking off and landing. Yeah, but yeah, I, exactly. You know, and I, I've I've thought about it. every time I go to the San Jose airport. There's some as you as you drive up to the airport. There's some some spots on the road that are really that look to be really good for getting shots from, you know, like, Oh wow. The plane is going to go right over your head. You can get a really good shot. And it's, it's kind of where this guy is standing, you know, in this, this TSA photo. So I'm wondering if I go out there with my Nikon, uh, and set up a tripod and, you know, get set up to take a picture. Will I be swarmed and handcuffed and, you know, will I have somebody's boot on my neck in five minutes before I can snap the shutter? Yeah. Or, and maybe that's, or, maybe that's what they're trying to get to. They're trying to get, they want me to think that so that I won't show up. Right. Yeah. Or even worse, where maybe they photograph you, you become, go into the profile database and, you know, next thing you know, and you try to get off the plane in Caracas, you know, they carry you away. I don't know. I mean, you know, this is, this is wild stuff. Yeah. We need to test this somehow without getting put on a watch list. (laughs) Yeah. I I vote for you, Fred. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll be the, I'll, I'll take that bullet for that. We need to produce some branded twip photographers you know are not evil doers type hoodies you know and put that right. on and go out there and shoot and then you know have someone else off scene taking pictures of the photographer getting accosted with the twip shirt on that would be great uh, you know? well yeah i mean i could see the ad on craigslist right now you know you know come work for twip you know photography assignment <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Short easy assignment. easy assignment you know easy assignment. <laughs> how Mart- to be included martyr wanted <laughs> Bring your hoodie. Awesome. Remember the old skateboarding T-shirt. Skateboarding is not a crime. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we totally. need you know, I've actually seen. I've seen the photography is not a, a crime T-shirts. I need one though. So somebody, somebody out there in the Twipland, if you if you have a link to those photography is not a crime shirts, stick it in the forum or something. Let us know because I would like to buy one or two. Um, all right, next story. Olin Mills, Joseph's favorite photography company, is going to pay. $3 million in a labor settlement. Apparently, a federal court judge in Tennessee approved a class action settlement agreement last month between um, Olin Mills and employees, both past and current. Because basically, it sounds like, it, reading this, basically, they were forcing, well, I guess they were forcing since they've been awarded, it's been proven, they were forcing uh, their employees to work before and after their shifts ended and not paying paying them for the time. And I've seen this over and over and over again. I mean, we had, we've had lawsuits that were successful here in Silicon Valley with certain companies getting charged for having their, their employees stay beyond, you know, the, the regular working hours. And this is kind of the culture of that here in Silicon Valley. You know, you get your salary generally, but then you're sleeping under your desk kind of thing. So, uh, Derek, you know, I know you've, you've worked in a studio at some point in your career. Is that sort of normal you know, par for the course when you're working in the studio, you know, you're going to work nine to five, but of course you're going to stay and clean up till about six or seven. No, well, actually I don't think it is, uh, at least it hasn't been my experience. And I think that's why this is a, a legitimate lawsuit in that I think they, uh, you know, this is like everyone's, every photographer's favorite studio, right? Uh, Olin Mills. So, uh, I think they have kind of stretched the, the, 
I don't want to say uh, McDonald's attitude because I think McDonald's treats their employees better. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the Walmart attitude uh, or something like that, you know, someone that's been proven to have employee relations problems. But they have stretched this to the point where they got caught, you know, and, and these 18 women uh, filed suits. By the way, uh, I think there's going to be some, or there may be already, when I read the story, some sexual harassment uh, suits in there also. But right now it's the before and after time working for free. And it's just not right. And, you know, uh, I, I think this is a, a good lawsuit. Yeah. And, you know, and I joked at the beginning about, you know, this is, you know, Joseph's favorite company or whatever. But, you know, Olin Mills and Derek and I were talking offline about this a little bit. Olin Mills is a company that's been around for a long time, uh, serving a very specific niche in photography. I mean, it's like, you know, we we basically what Derek and I were talking about is we don't we don't want to talk ill about photographers of Olin Mills, for example. Hmm. Um, we know there, there's a niche for that kind of photography. It's, you know, it's the stand on the X, hear the lights, you know, at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock and take the photo kind of thing next. Um, but there's millions and millions of people that need that kind of photography. I mean, it's the folks that, that have, you know, say three kids and you want to, you need to get shots of them at a certain age. You're not going to go to... You're not going to go to a Joseph Lenasky or a Derek Story to get that done, you know, because, you know, especially if you have limited funds, you're going to go to someone like Olin Mills. Joseph, what do you, what do you think about, you know, this overall, first of all, the lawsuit uh, piece of this and photographers or people in these kind of companies working off the clock? And then B, you know, just the Olin Mills sort of cookie cutter photography in general. Sure. Well, they do those in reverse. I mean, as far as the cookie cutter photography, you know, obviously I'm not a, a fan of it, um, but like you said, there's a definite need for it, and they're filling a niche. They're filling a need that's out there, and if it was, if the need wasn't there, then they wouldn't still be in business. People don't want to spend a lot of money on photography. We know that. And if people want family portraits done and they just are happy with a simple, just stand here and smile, white backdrop, or you know, pick your colored backdrop and in and out in five minutes, no, that's great. Power to them. And you're going to get reasonably good photos and you're going to pay very little for it and that's great and it's certainly better than not having them um, but you know when people do want something more special something unique then they have other photographers like us to come to so it's yeah. fine you know it, it is what it is like i said if there wasn't a need then they wouldn't be in business so clearly people are paying them to do this yeah uh, as, as far as the lawsuit goes and i agree with Derek. you know clearly if they're if they're taking advantage of their employees that's not okay um you know, if they're demanding overtime without paying them, that's not okay. You know, on the other side of it, having worked corporate for many years and put in way more than my uh, allotted 40 hours a week and not yeah. getting overtime for that, you know, I tend to look at that and scoff a little bit. Like, really? You know, come on, man. We all put in extra hours to, to get ahead. That's kind of the idea. But I suppose at a company like this, you're probably only paying your employees you know, minimum wage or a little bit over that. So I guess in that case, the overtime is a little bit harder to swallow when you're making a six-figure salary. Uh, working overtime is really no big deal. It's just it just is what it is. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head. I think it's it's when you're you're working a six fig, six figure six figure salaried job where you're you're already getting paid probably too much, right? <laughs> so you know, working a little a few extra hours is not going to kill you, and plus it helps you get ahead and get your projects done and that sort of thing. But when you're hourly and you're you know you're making donuts, you know it's you're making widgets. Yeah, you're cranking things out, and you can measure finitely exactly what your what your output versus how much is going to be in my check is you know yeah. then, then it becomes it, it becomes very clear that when you're being taken advantage of right yeah and i want to i want to jump in on the other part of it from the photographer's point of view for the for the folks that are working there so i i used to have the saying in in when uh, for writing because i do both in that any type of writing makes me a better 
writer. And uh, I think even in this case, uh, any type of photography makes you a better photographer, even though you're not really solving the lighting problems and you're not you're probably not even solving the composition problems but what you do have to do still is work with the people you have to work with the clients and you're going to get all these different types of people coming in and all these different uh frames of mind and you and you get that experience to to build your people relations and i think that will help any of these people that are working uh for olin mills uh, if they go on to do their own studio or their own type of photography or anything that i think that experience is valuable so that's why you know i'm kind of behind the suit in that i think you know Sure, they're they're working in this sort of this cookie cutter type situation, but they may some of them may have real aspirations and want to go on and you know and, and I think that's legitimate. Yeah, no, totally. Well, Olin Mills first glamour shots. Watch out! <laughs> you better be treating your people right. All right. You know, one thing in this story that that does kind of kill me. I'm reading the notes here, and it says that the court approved payments of ten thousand dollars to seven of the named plaintiffs. So ten grand apiece. That's good. Mm-hmm. The court also approved one million dollars to the plaintiff's attorneys. Yeah. So no one one point nine million, so two million dollars. Yeah. Attorneys are making all that money, and the the people who actually sued are getting ten grand a pop. Yeah, that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> lawyers, come on, Joseph. <laughs> of course, they're going to do the right thing. Um, all right, this next story up is for, is about Nikon. They've announced a 10.1 megapixel camera. This is their flagship Coolpix camera. It's, it features an f2.8 Nikkor uh, 7.1x lens with ED glass, um, and it's called the P7000. Derek, do you have your hands on one of these yet? I don't have my hands on one yet, although I've been reading up on it, and I will uh, have my hands on it. And, I, you know, this is... This is an interesting camera, actually. I think, you know, they tried some things. On, I, I assume you're going to let me talk about this for a second. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, well, we're done with you, Derek. Okay, on to Joseph. No. <laughs> I'm already rolling. Uh, no. Uh, you know, they tried some things with, uh, with the 6,000. And, uh, for instance, they tried uh, GPS, built-in GPS on the P6000, yeah. uh, which was their flagship then. And, uh and it's not in the 7,000. So, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, Nikon, you know, play with this, this flagship Coolpix a little bit, trying to f- figure out the right formula to go up against uh, basically Canon and Panasonic, uh, the LX5 on Panasonic side and the G11 on the Canon side. And I would put the S90 in there too, or 95 now, actually. But uh, they're playing with it, and, uh, you know, I think, their formula comes a little bit closer this time. It really hasn't been a competitor to those other two, and and hopefully this time they're going to come a little closer. It has they did one thing that I really love? They put in 720p mm. video at 24 frames a second, mm. but they put an external mic jack in there. So oh, it does have an external mic jack. This might be my camera then. All right. Yeah. So you know, if if the if the raw files look good uh, and you know, all the other things, uh, they might have, uh, something here. I'm really, you know, I know we, on previous shows, we talked about the end of the point and shoot, but ironically I am in the market for, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a point and shoot like this Nikon, although it looks like it might be the good thing, but, um, either that or a, uh, digital video camera. So I can start doing some video blogging again mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I've been, I, before I was doing things with my G nine, which is, you know, getting a little long in the tooth now. So I'm looking to upgrade to something that's, 
that is both compact and lets me do all the things I need to do with an audio in on it. So if this does that, then hey, this this does that at at 720p or you know lower resolution if you want. So yeah, if all the other parts of it fall into line, uh, you know this this could be a serious camera. This could be my kit, Joseph. Um, we talked about the end of the point and shoot before, like I just mentioned. Do you now that you see this kind of camera and, and that camera companies like Nikon and Canon continue to innovate and push this space forward? Do you think the end of the point and shoot is near? You know, compared to using using camera phones as the sort of killer of camera of uh, these point sure. and shoots. Well, you know, this level of point and shoot is that kind of in between stage, right? The little baby point and shoots, the hundred dollar cameras are getting beat out by camera phones. The This range, though, this is something that's a lot more than what you get out of a camera phone. And it is, it's like a baby DSLR. You know, it's uh, the kind of the professional's point-and-shoot. So these kind of cameras are pretty cool. And this P7000 looks like it's a nice one. It's got some great specs on there. I am disappointed to see the GPS go away. I know that with the 6000, um, there are reports that it was not good. The GPS took forever to grab a signal and yeah. wasn't that accurate. And I've heard of all kinds of problems. But to me, GPS is really important. I mean, my iPhone has it, and so every picture I take with that is geotagged automatically in Aperture iPhoto. And, you know, I go to great lengths to geotag my photos off my Canon because they still don't have an easy way to uh, to automatically get GPS data into there. So I have to, you know, use another piece of hardware and, and do the whole integration of software. It's kind of a pain, but I do it because I really, really like having that in there. I like but I would, I would argue, Joseph, that, that yeah, I agree having – Taking that away is probably a bad idea, and having it is really nice. But I would argue but that because you're an Aperture user, and Aperture makes it so easy to take advantage of that GPS data, of course you're going to want it. But people that aren't using Aperture, like the Lightroom and Photoshop folks and whatever else you're using, they it's it's jumping through hoops to take to make use of that. I mean, you're buying extra applications to marry up the data and put it on a map and all this other stuff. So... I don't know. I mean, what, what do you, if you're not using Aperture, do you think it's you think GPS is still well, necessary? Even if you're not using Aperture or iPhoto, because iPhoto has places as well. Right, right, right. If you assuming that that metadata isn't stripped out of the file, you know, forget about merging it with something else. Let's just say you're using an iPhone or a camera that has GPS built in. Assuming the metadata is not stripped, when you upload it to Flickr, for example, Flickr has yeah. a mapping. View oh, on there. right, right. So you okay. can see them there. SmugMug does as well. Yep. Uh, anything that's on SmugMug, you can see where the photo is taken if you, you know, opt to, to allow your viewers to see that. And it, it's, I think it's becoming, it's one of those things that when you first get it, you first have it, it's like, okay, now I've got a handful of photos that are geotagged, whoop to do. But a couple years down the road, you get to be, you can go, show me all the photos taken in my backyard over the last couple of years. Show me all the pictures I took in you know the city of LA show me all the pictures i took on my three trips to the snow cabin and you can just zoom in on that area and see them and it's just so easy to find the photos yeah yeah with the data it gives you the it gives you the where as well as the when yeah and you're right i hadn't taken into account the uh, the online services that that have clearly pushed beyond the desktop applications in terms of, of making use of that data derek what do you gps is that is that part of your your daily sort of shooting routine do you care about it uh, I do care about it, and I agree with Joseph on a lot of those fronts. And uh, I actually see this as a bit of a setback for the whole GPS thing because, uh, yes, I, I, I tested the 6000, and the GPS uh, did drive me crazy with it. It, it wasn't very good, and it did uh, cause uh, battery drain problems also. So I was thinking what they would do is just solve those problems and, and move it forward on the 7000, 
if they would have had GPS on this camera, uh, improved GPS, uh, suddenly with all the other things it has going for it, I think they had an opportunity to really set uh, you know it apart from Canon and Panasonic uh, specifically. And I worry a little bit like, well, is the GPS thing going to start to you know fade away? Because I mm-hmm. thought it was actually going to be one of the next big things. You know, yeah. and we had stabilization, we had face detection, and, and I thought GPS was going to be somewhere in that lineup. And now with it uh, being pulled out of the 7,000, I'm kind of wondering, well, what is going to happen with it? Yeah. And what about the, uh, Derek, what do you think about the drop in, in resolution from 13.5 megapixels on the 6,000 to uh, 10.1 megapixels on, on this one? Well, they're, I think they're being smart, right? Uh, they, they're watching very closely uh, what's going on here. And, you know, we had the megapixel arms race. There. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was just out of control. The Cold, and, the cold War, right? The, yeah. And now, you know, now we have the high ISO uh, arms race. And so by dropping, dropping it back and making the photo sites a little bit bigger and probably improving the processing and so forth, I think it allows them to give you better shots at, you know, ISO 800 and 1600. And so it's probably a good move. Yeah. And one last question on this. Um, the In terms of in-camera processing, you know, and, and doing cool things inside the camera, um, like video or whatever, um, I know Apple Apple released or is about to release. I don't know if it's out yet, but the, an update to the iPhone software that allows in-camera HDR, or you know, not not the the kind of over-the-top HDR with you know oversaturation and halos and all that stuff, but just to, <laughs> to oh darn, <laughs> but the the more the more I mean HDR high dynamic range photography is is a technique that allows you to render a scene so that the highlights and shadows all have detail. So if you take a picture of something with bright sky and shadows in the foreground, you'll have detail and all of that, which is hard to do with a single image. So by combining images, you can get that get that dynamic range or a higher dynamic range, hence HDR. So Apple has announced a software update for iPhones that will allow, or iPhone 4s, that will allow uh, you to take one shot and then it will render three different versions at three different exposures and then blend them together in camera. So where I'm going with this... It takes three different pictures. Oh, it does. It snaps three. Yeah. Okay. So you better not be moving, right? Um, so then my, my question is... Is that a direction that these guys need to go? Like Joseph, you were saying, you know, your your iPhone automatically tags all the photos you take with it with its location. Um, should these point and shoots be doing a all that magic GPS stuff like we just talked about, and b in camera type computational photography like like GP or uh, like HDR? Derek, I think if they I'll, want to sur- go ahead, Joseph. Go ahead. I say if they want to survive, I think they do have to because if you, when you realize that you can get so much more functionality out of your camera phone than you can out of your you know, $500 point and shoot, then that starts to get a little bit disappointing. So yeah, built in HDR, cool, go for it. You know, the Sony cameras have that paint a panorama feature. I think that's fantastic. You know, I want to see more and more features like that. That's the kind of stuff that will make me go out and buy a point and shoot again, as opposed to just saying, you know what, there's an app for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Derek, is that uh, yeah. is that where we're going with all this stuff, the, the computational photography? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the S95 uh, has it. Canon's putting it in the S95, the built-in HDR. And I think that one in particular is, is a good feature uh, because, you know, the age-old problem with we see a scene with our eyes a certain way with these, you know, super bright highlights and deep shadows, and then we take a picture and it, it doesn't look like that. 
And, uh, you know, this is especially true for people that aren't experienced photographers. Uh, so, you know, the HDR sort of helps with that, sort of helps give you a scene that's more like uh, what you see with your eyes. And I think that's what a lot of people want. And, and I think this is a good feature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what's what's coming next. It's exciting stuff. So just to, to close this piece off, um, uh, Joseph, I'll put it, I'll throw it to you first. Do, do you currently have a, a point and shoot that you're taking around with you as you, you know, as you satisfy your travel junkie habit? Not really. I have my, I have that underwater one. Um, the, I think it was a D10 that I had bought for my daughter. And, and, you know, I take that sometimes, especially if we're going somewhere wet. Like we went to a water slide park on Monday, took that out. And that was you know, fantastic to have there. Obviously not going to take my iPhone somewhere like that. Yeah. But other than that, not really. I really just don't. Uh, the phones have gotten so good that if I'm not, if I'm not in the mood to carry my big camera around, then it's just an iPhone for me. And that's all I carry. Yeah. Yeah. And Derek, what about you? Are you a point and shooter? Are you digital SLR or camera phone guy? Uh, yes, I am. You're both. <laughs> I, I, I love I, you, uh, man. <laughs> I'm. Uh, that's like my, my dad's. You know, my dad's got the corniest jokes, and my mom would go, "Do you want pumpkin pie or pecan pie?" And it's the same same corny answer. So I apologize for that. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, I, I love the S90. I'm totally addicted to it. And, uh, so I, I carry an S90 with me, uh, almost all the time. And then with the camera connection kit and the iPad and the S90 being able to shoot raw and JPEG both, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, just so happy these days <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because uh, I, I really get, I get fantastic shots with that camera and it, I don't have to carry uh, the 5D Mark II with me all the time, which is, you know, I love it for my professional work, but maybe not going to Starbucks. So uh, I love the S90 and I'm going to, I'm probably going to get the S95. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I'm gonna look closely at that Nikon. I'm still looking at something. I don't care who makes it as long as it's good and allows me to input audio into it, and you know, and it uh, you know just does the right thing. So I'm still holding off. All right, guys, um, we've got a special treat. We haven't done this in a while on the show. Um, inserted a guest interview, so I was able to to uh, to wrangle Mr. Mickle Olland to uh to spend a few, t- a few a few minutes with me on the on Skype to chat about what he's been up to about photography his time with Ansel Adams and all this other magic stuff uh it's a great interview i think and uh Mickle is is was surprisingly irreverent so give it a listen i'm here with Mickle Oland hey Mickle thanks for for joining me on this week in photo Frederick it's great to be with you this is this is awesome so i haven't talked to you in forever i don't think i've talked to you since since the time that i was actually at adobe and we we interacted together um but back then and as now you were the lightroom maven knowing everything about every little widget dial control button in that application is the same thing true today yeah i mean i i love lightroom you know i've been been involved with it since its uh, inception and uh it's just uh, it's it's a great program. It's come a long ways, and uh, yeah, we're up to Lightroom three now, which is a lot of yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there that I want to talk to you about. But before we jump into Lightroom um, and all that other good stuff, for the folks that may not have heard of you, Mikkel Oland, what 
what who are you you know what <laughs> who, the, who the heck are you what do you Wait, what do you do okay. i need to give you my business card yeah. <laughs> um, you know, i know I, it just says photographer on it right but could you go yeah. like a level deeper than that <laughs> you know it's funny i don't even use business cards anymore i just say google me there you go <laughs> next what we do you know in some countries that could that could end badly <laughs> Whoa, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Got to be careful. Yeah. Um, you know, Frederick, I've been a photographer for a long time. I'm, I'm afraid to, you know, I, I don't know if I should name dates or anything because, uh, but uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I used something that was in the old days, it was uh, called film. You oh, that? yeah, that was like, yeah. like on acetate or something. Like <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> and and we, we actually had to go into a, a real dark room and uh, process it. And uh, so I started in the chemical world. And, uh, you know, I love photography. I did not like the dark room. I, I was one of those people that really got tired of all the chemicals. And they really, uh, they really fried me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember I was with Ansel Adams once, and, uh, and he held up his hands and and showed me his fingertips from from working with Dectol, which was a uh, print developer. And I held up my hands, and we just looked. You know, you know, I just shook my head because they were, mine were just as brown and 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 as stained as as his were. And it was it was pretty nasty stuff. And who? Wait a minute. Who was this that you were? His name is Ansel Adams. He's a he's a pretty well known photographer. So you worked in the dark room with Ansel Adams? I no no I I was actually I was hanging out with him, and I was doing a. Uh, an interview with him. I was the editor for a Swedish magazine, a photo magazine, and they sent me down there just to find out a little bit about this guy. And we had a great interview. And uh, and at the end of the interview, he, I asked him, you know, because I was pretty young at that time. I said to him, you know, if you're starting, if I, if you were starting over like I am now, I mean, if you're young and starting over, um, what, you know, what would you be interested in? What aspects of photography? And this was back in like 1980 or 81, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, he didn't skip a a beat. And he said, oh, let, you know, this electronic photography, video, electronic photography, it's so interesting. Wow. And I said, what the heck are you talking about, you know? Uh, I, I was clueless. And then he started talking about the um, these images that were coming uh, out of outer space from the from the space program, from uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, mm-hmm. where they were actually uh, getting these images from Mars and then reassembling the, the, the electronic data and doing – and I, I just completely uh, lost him when he started talking about all this stuff. And I just said, you know, I, I better make a note of this because <laughs> this is something I, I should look into. And I went, I went away from, from that meeting with Ansel. And sh- very shortly after that, Sony uh, introduced the, the Mavica, which was the first electronic still video camera. It was I remember a that, still yeah. capture uh, electronically. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this thing is really happening. You know, he, he's on top of it. So I started tracking that whole stuff, and, and I was so interested in, in getting out of the darkroom that I, I was kind of propelled forward by, by this uh, technology that would, have, uh, that would allow us to do everything electronically. Yeah. How, how was he to work? How was he to speak to? What kind of guy was he? I would love to. I mean, I had a, I had a chance to meet uh, Michael Adams, his son, and, and sort of chat with him. Great, amazing guy. Um, but, you know, I, I always wondered what it would be like to just – sit down and have a conversation with Ansel Adams. What kind of stuff did you ask him? 
Oh, it was it was wonderful. I mean, the guy was a, already at the time was a legend, and just to hear his stories of uh, his philosophy, his attitude towards photography. I love what he said. Things like, um, you know, I don't I don't take photographs. I make photographs. I mean, you know, and a lot of things like that were just it really kind of stuck in my mind uh, at that I was very kind of very you know young and open, mm-hmm. and so talking about his work. How he how he came to photography and, and, and his relationship between with music and photography, all that stuff was just fascinating. And he's such a generous he was such a generous man with his time, uh, you know, just very much into teaching and showing off his techniques to other people. A real inspiration. I I, I just uh, I feel so fortunate to have uh, had spent a little time with him. How would you say? Um, you interacting with you know one of the masters, the great masters of photography. How has that influenced you in your work as a photographer? Well, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to spend time with Ansel, but also because of this job working for this Swedish magazine, I was able to interview uh, other photographers like Manuel Alvarez Bravo, which is a, who's a very famous uh, Mexican photographer. He was ninety some years old when I met him. Wow! I interviewed Cornell Capa. Uh, I mean, there were just uh, Mary Ellen Mark. All, so many of these people at, at the. I met I met them at the right time for me, so it really uh, it, it kind of fixed this uh, this image of a, what a photographer uh, not not a photographer per se, but a whole photographic life being you know this whole um, pantheon of of of, uh, of work that's not the right word pantheon this whole spectrum yeah. of work in, in front of me, so it gave me the the big picture. So I think that in a lot of my my career has been influenced by the fact that um, you know you're not always going to be photographing. Manuel Alvarez Bravo, the Mexican photographer, I asked him. I said, you know, in your resume here, there's a period, a long period where there's no, I don't see any shows, I don't see much work coming out of it. Several years, and I said, what were you doing? And he looked at me. He said, you know, and this was all in Spanish. He said, he said, like a like a musician is always whistling. I'm always looking. So it didn't. It really. It brought back, brought to home, brought home the idea that photography ultimately is about teaching us to, how we l- look at the world and yeah. how, how we take it in. And it's not necessarily about capturing or taking the picture. I mean, of course, it you know that's an important part of it, but it's teaching us how to look at the world. So those kind of things have really stuck with me, and and uh, you know after many years of, of photography and seeing how there's times when I'm really active and very involved, and then other times when I'm I'm focused on on other things. And I mean, I'm still doing photography, but I don't feel the pressure to always you know having to you know do an assignment every day or work every day. It's uh, I'm more relaxed about it. I have more. The big picture in mind. That's awesome. You know that what you were saying reminds me of when I was in the I was in the Air Force and um, just sort of getting my sea legs with regard to light exposure and understanding what this thing called photography is. Um, and we I was going through this phase of this learning phase of understanding light mm-hmm. and just the properties of light. You know, mm-hmm. they and they they hammer it into you like everything from what is a photon how fast does light travel where does light come from the center of the sun or the edge of the sun you know all all of this stuff and i was you know i would find myself this i was in tokyo at the time and i'd find myself walking around downtown just sort of looking around and 
you know, saying, oh, that's specular, that's diffuse, that's hard light, that's soft light, uh, you know, or it's overcast and there are no shadows or it's the sun is out and there are hard shadows, you know. So you uh, you go through that phase of just mm. sort of looking at light and looking at the world from a photographer standpoint. That was a, a big turning point. Right. And I think it does. It really when you're connected to the world that way, when you're looking at the world and you're, you're you see the connection between you and, and, and your external environment. I mean, I think you're really, truly living. I mean, otherwise, I'm not sure you're really living. Yeah. Well, what would you you know, I'll, I'll put it on you. You know, it's a will come full circle. As a photographer working today with the tools that you have today, some of which we're going to get to in a second, um, advice that you would give to the This Week in, Fo- this, this Week in Photo listeners that are just starting out, what, what advice would you get to give to them as someone who's been shooting for a while? Well, I, I, the big, the, one of the biggest, uh, uh, inf- I guess, most important aspects of my career were the people that I luckily became involved with, you know, like Ansel Adams, Bill Owens, Gordon Clark. Uh, I have a whole group of uh, people that, uh, uh, that I made sure that uh, you know, I was around them. I went to their lectures. I went to their shows. Um, I think it, as far as advice goes, you know, seek out the people you really respect and, and try to uh, you know, get into their life a little bit. Uh, because you're going to learn so much when you get around people who have been doing this for a while. So, uh, and go to exhibits, look at photography, see what you know, resonates with you. What do you? What works for you? And it's just um, there's so much out there now. I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff online, which is great. All these these forums that you can put your work out there and get respond, get feedback. But it, it's also really good to go to some of the galleries and to the museums and, you know, in the cities and, and try to and, and get a sense of the whole history around photography. Yeah. That's uh, really important. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give a, a shout-out to Kelly Castro. At uh, He's a good friend of mine who always beats into my head that I, I need to be more cognizant of the history of photography when <laughs> he's absolutely right. There's a, you got to know your history in order to know where you're going. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of this stuff has been done. I mean, a lot of things. We you get these young photographers get all excited about some new technique or some subject matter, and then you just go, "Yeah, that was great." Let's see, so and so did it seventy years ago, but you know, it's okay. It's nothing wrong with doing it again. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. you should be aware. Any if you're involved, if you're if you're really 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 passionate about anything, you should you should not only just focus on your own work. You should fo- focus on the people around you and their work and the history. It's it's very important. So, Michael, talking about tools and you know some of the cool stuff is out that that photographers have to work with today. Um, I'm I'm all I'm blown away by the the number of resources that f- today's photographers have in order to learn software, hardware, their cameras, just photography in general. And you're contributing to that. And I get in my hands right now um, a uh, a title that just came out that was published out by you um, and Tim Gray. It's called Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 3 Learn by Video. And it's a, it's a it looks to be a hybrid book mm-hmm. optical media thing. Can you tell me tell me what it is and what the what the idea was behind this title? 
Yeah, I'm I'm really I come from the book world. So I've done what is it, over 10, 10, 15 books or something. And a lot of them have been on digital imaging and digital photography and and as you know, and you were very involved with the uh, the Lightroom Adventure book that uh, came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So books I I'm passionate about books, Frederick. I love books. Uh, but I'm also finding that a lot of people really appreciate learning uh, through video. So this is uh, this is something I'm doing more and more now uh, is make recording training videos that walk people through how to use software, um, and then they have the the DVD which gives all these uh, actually over ten hours of training videos, and then as part of this package is also um, a little a booklet at the back so you kind of get the uh, a book feeling as well so it's a it's a complete package package of of uh, video training and a, a book or a booklet uh, in, in in one package and Tim Gray who who's another well one of the kind of the premier educators in this in the photographic field uh, and somebody I've respected for a really long time uh, and I collaborated on this we kind of split down the, the split the tasks in half and he did half and I did the other and it was that was really fun working with Tim but I think we've come out with a really good product that um, has the the video component and the booklet component but there's something else that uh, I, I really have to mention that makes this really special and, and different than other uh, video training uh, products and uh, the company we've been working with is video to brain it's a it's an Austrian company mm-hmm. and they are contracted by Adobe press so Adobe press is the publisher on this uh, title uh, and they're obviously a really good uh, very good uh, people to work with. Yeah. But the people in, in Austria have come up with um, some really nice techniques so that when you're going through this video training, there's there's interactivity, there's questions, there's uh, it, it's more it's not just sit down and passively watch the the videos. There's there's interactivity built in. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I, oh yeah, it's 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 it really makes it uh, uh, that much more valuable. And Obviously, from a production point of view, a lot more work from their point of view. So you're the you're the bang for the buck for for what you're getting is 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 it's much more. Um, but it's it, they're doing just a great job on these titles, and I'm I'm very pleased with the way this one came out. So, Mikkel, I would I would consider you an educator. You know, in in terms of all the stuff that you've done over the years. You know, the like you mentioned, the number of books that you have out, and you do workshops and seminars and that sort of thing. From a from a the a learning photographer standpoint, say there's someone listening to this that you know is very passionate and they're kind of ha- being overwhelmed because there's a lot of stuff out there. There's you know your your titles. There's you know Lynda.com. There's Video to Brain. There's yeah. you know all the stuff that they can. can and that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know there's the library of books that you can go to the bookstore and get or audio books. All this stuff mm-hmm. for the photographer that just wants to learn the craft of. I want to learn how to shoot and I want to learn how to post-process my images mm. and share them or print them or something. The fundamental DNA of photography, what would you suggest the path for them to take? 
Well, there's, yeah, it's 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 really it's like going into a supermarket and trying to pick cereal nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just there. <laughs> I was just there buying my Fruit Loops, and I had to say, oh, <laughs> "Gosh!" Uh, so I, I totally I'm, I, I totally sympathize with that. That, that there's a, it's pretty saturated out there with information. I think it's I, it's actually great because it means that there's a, there's a lot of people interested. Uh, in the subject, and there's a lot of people trying to help each other. So, you know, there's everybody. This is what I found when I did the the video training. There's some people that are going to respond really well to these videos, to that concept of, of of learning, and they can go to these websites, whether it be Lynda.com or Video with the Brain or Adobe Press, and they can just download samples and they can see does that work for them? Is that the way that they were? You know, they want to get the information. Other people just rather go to the bookstore and browse some of the books and, and see which one of the books is working well for them because that's how they get information. Everybody's a little bit different, so yeah. you're really gonna. It's hard to say. You know, here's a one, you know, one, one piece fits all, one suit fits all uh, approach. Uh, you really just need to kind of go out there and sample. And the great thing is now, Frederick, is there's not there's not much cost involved with sampling. I mean, yeah. you can you can uh, get the um, uh, sample videos. You can check out the books at the library or in the uh, bookstore. Uh, you can go online. A lot of the forums, uh, people are very helpful. I can't believe how much time people spend with each other on the forums, helping each other. Yeah. And passing information back and forth, uh, it you know, Flickr's great. There's a lot of really great uh, uh, places. Uh, you know, what you're doing, uh, it's it, it's it's um, it's pretty exciting out there. I wouldn't, I would just say, don't get overwhelmed. You know, kind of peck peck your way at it slowly. Don't don't uh, don't don't get too. Uh, overwhelmed if you can help it and just um, take it a little bit by little bit yeah how do you, how do you eat an elephant one <laughs> bite at a time exactly. right <laughs> well i think I, I, that's beautiful that's a really nice image <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't eat i don't eat elephants yeah neither do i <laughs> all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot because i'm always put on the spot and you are you are the lightroom expert um you know you're you're one of a handful of people that i know that that know the application pretty much as deep as you can get into it so yeah, I'm putting you on the spot right now, Mikkel. Which is better, Lightroom or Aperture? I'm sorry, what was that other program? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't paying attention. You're going to get some mail. Did you say something? Okay, Ooh. wait, wait. Okay, slow down. Yeah. First of all, I love Apple. I love Apple products. I'm I'm working on a Mac, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I've got an iPhone. I, 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 I saw Aperture once. It looked good. I mean, well, I was, it looked okay. It was fine. <laughs> no, really. But, uh-huh. Okay, for, first of all, from my point of view, I think uh, anybody on a PC that goes out and tries to run Aperture is going to have a problem, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. Uh, so right there, you're you're limited, you know, if you're if you're on a PC. So there you go. There's that, that's where Lightroom comes in. And I'm not going to say anything bad about Aperture, uh, Frederick. I'm just going to say this: that I've worked with Lightroom since the beginning, and I've just watched how uh, Adobe uh, took in all this uh, information from professionals and photographers and people in the field and built this piece of software from the ground up with with us in mind and and i'm just so impressed with what they've done with that product i just i love lightroom i'm passionate about lightroom so it's it, i i don't want to bad mouth um uh what was it called yeah yeah uh, we'll leave yeah, it at that i really don't want to bad mouth that and uh, you know some of my best friends use uh 
uh, Aperture. So, yeah. Well, you know, all kidding aside, Aperture is an amazing application as well. And, you know, I said this on the show before, we're, as photographers, we are the beneficiaries of the competition between Adobe and uh, and Apple because they're you know they're they're both pushed forward to to put out some stellar software yeah. and in the end we get to play with it and make better images so you I, know I totally agree with that thank goodness they both exist I am impressed with the Aperture's uh, uh, video capabilities mm-hmm. they're they they're definitely a little bit ahead of uh, what Lightroom can do with video right now yeah I yep. think that's important and I I'm a really uh, I'm a I'm I'm very very much um, uh, one of those people that sees video and still photography that whole uh, the, the merging of those two yeah convergence uh, it's, yeah it's pretty important that you you're on top of that all right so uh, perfect segue into Lightroom three which is the latest release of the application right. um, what uh, what what would you say pops out in your head as the most important feature in the app so we're up to what three point two now I think is it three two yeah. yeah. Well, the Lightroom, they completely rewrote the, the, the code, the, the uh, underlying code that uh, um, the demosaicing, the, the assembling of the raw data code. So when you get Lightroom and, and you, Lightroom 3 and you open up a raw file, whether it was a raw file that you took last week or, or five, you know, five years ago, uh, you're, you're basically getting a new camera. It, it, the interpretation of that data now is so much better, and especially you'll see it in noise reduction, but also just in just in the way the colors are handled. So this is something. It, it's hard to, um, uh, you know, it's not one of those features that it, it just jumps out at you until you open up an image and compare it uh, with with how it looked before. So right there, that's that's pretty that's fundamentally uh, pretty. Pretty different and very important. Uh, the other thing is the I I love the um, uh, in the develop module the all the the lens correction stuff now. Yeah, I, that's magic. That is wow. that is absolutely magical. Yeah, can you describe for the folks that may not know what that is? What what is that feature? Well, it, it, this is how this is how I look at it. When I um, you know I, I have a, a Nikon, and uh, if I put a Nikon fisheye lens on my camera. Before, if I was going to get any kind of correction to that fisheye so there wouldn't be distortion, I'd have to use Nikon's proprietary uh, software. Uh, but now with the, the uh, lens correction capability, the profiles that are included with, the, with Lightroom, and you can make your own profiles as well, uh, it'll go in and then correct uh, for uh, distortion, chromatic aberration, vignetting, all automatically. Uh, so let's just say you've taken a shot with a fisheye and you have that, that classic distortion. Uh, you just pop it into the uh, uh, with lens corrections, choose the right profile, and it's gone. Boom. It's instant. And so it's uh, uh, that's pretty pretty sexy. Wow. Really sexy, actually. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing app. And, uh, you know, I, I would encourage folks, like we were, you know, all kidding aside, we were saying at the top between Aperture and Lightroom, um, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, if you... You know, you're using one and are curious about the other one. I would definitely download one of the trials and play with them because they they make it really easy for you to play around and uh, and and see which one fits the way that your brain works the best. Right? Absolutely. Good. Good point. Yep. So, Mikkel, thank you so much for taking the time uh, on a Labor Day, no less, to go through labor with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now wait a minute. (laughs) That didn't come out right. You know Uh, what I mean? Let's see. You haven't told me about that part of your life. (laughs) And then I said that didn't come out right. Look at that. See? I can't stop. I'm here all week. Keep digging. Keep digging. (laughs) 
<laughs> where where can people go to find you uh, and some of the stuff you're working on and this book and all that stuff? Yeah, well, so just Google me. No, um, <laughs> I am a couple sites. The, the, in terms of the product itself, you can get the product, the new product, the Learn by Video Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 3. You can get that on uh, through Amazon, through the Adobe Press site. Um, so that's pretty easy to track. Uh, my site is uh, shooting-digital.com, and uh, there will be links there to, to the different products and my other books as well. Um, so you can – and definitely feel free to, to shoot me an email. If, if any of your listeners want to contact me with questions, I'm, I'm pretty good at, unless, I, unless the email ends up in the, uh, in the spam uh, uh, folder. I'm, I'm pretty good about responding, and I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, to share Information with well, them. what's your what's your email? You're gonna you're gonna share? No, that? I'm not gonna give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. Email me, but you can't have the address. Very uh, good. <laughs> well, I think we'll put that up on your site, right? Okay, it's perfect. A, it's a Philly. Oh, it's long. Okay, with my name and everything. You know. Oh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> okay, yeah, your your name is pronounced somewhat differently than it looks when it's written. We'll just confuse people. Yep. Okay. Well, Mikkel, thank you again for taking the time. This has been an absolute pleasure and great catching up with you. Thank you, Frederick. It's been my pleasure. Okay. That was Mikkel Oland. Um, if you want to connect with him, just head over to the blog post for this this show, and you'll find links to all of his presences online, to his blog, his Twitter, and all that good stuff. All right, it is time for listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the This Week in Photo forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And here are this week's questions. The first one I'm going to throw to you, Derek. Um, I'm going to let you you paraphrase this one, so take it away. The, uh, the, the old job sheet uh, question? Yeah, yep, yep. Okay. yeah, it's Hutch Photo. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my photography is starting to pick up, and I'm at the stage where I need to organize my flow and create a job sheet. So basically what he's asking is, you know, right now uh, he's like scribbling notes uh, on a pad. He's got pieces of paper floating around and everything, and he wants to kind of get this, you know, more organized. And so what he's looking for um, are there, you know, pre-made forms that he could customize to help get more organized. Uh, I looked around a little bit. I didn't really, and I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I didn't really find anything that I liked. And what I really recommend to him, and I think this is a great idea. I use them for my own shooting, especially for portrait and wedding shoots, uh, is to create your own based on your own experience. And I was just going to mention a few things right now that you want to make sure that you address, and that would be uh, the way I think about shoots is, you know, before the shoot, during the shoot, and then right after the shoot, and the sort of things that you want to do. And before the shoot, of course, is, you know, getting your gear ready and making sure you have all your logistics ready. Adding on to that, make sure that you talk to the client and get specific information about, you know, what they want from that. And then make sure that they sign off on that. You know, talk to them and, and really make sure that you understand what the client wants. And then have that with you. Integrate that into your job sheet and bring it with you on the shoot. And that's why I think 
um, I don't use templates is because, you know, there would be a big spot on the template that said, okay, get all the information from the client and put it here, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. And I think really the, the crux of it is, other than preparing your equipment, is to making sure that you really understand the assignment, have it written down, bring it with you, and then review it uh, during the assignment. And I would, I would advocate, and I'll be curious to see what Joseph says, but I would, be, I would advocate creating... Uh, basically your own list, and I think it's going to serve your photography better. Definitely. Joseph, you you have anything to add to that? No, really, I absolutely agree. You you do need to create your own list. I'm sure that there are lists out there um, that you can use as a starting point or maybe find a few different ones to compare them. But it just comes down to experience and taking notes of what goes right and what goes wrong after a shoot so that the next time you can improve and, and correct the mistakes that you may have made before. Yeah, absolutely. All right, question number two from listener Thomas Blampide. Um, Joseph, you want to take this one? Sure. So Thomas says, a week ago I noticed that a speck of dust had become lodged in the focusing screen of my Rebel XSI, right between two focusing points. Unfortunately, I decided to try and remove it, and now there are multiple pieces of dust and lint stuck in there. But he goes on to say, of course, it doesn't affect the photo, but it is obviously annoying, and he wants to figure out how to get rid of that. And his local camera store has said that they can take care of it for him or he can send it off to Canon. He's asking what he should do um, and if he should stop messing around with it before he makes it worse. So the easy answer is yes, stop messing around. Yeah. Um, most most higher-end DSLRs, you know, the, uh, the 5D, I believe, does, but certainly on, you know, for the Canon side, the 1DS series has a, a removable focusing screen, so it's quite easy to just pop that out and blow some air in there and clean that up. It's not the kind of area you want to uh, want to scratch, of course, but even if you do scratch the focusing screen, it's not the end of the world. It's just it's not going to be in your pictures, but you'll be seeing it every time you look through the lens. So it's you know, left, best left to the professionals. I think that if you take that camera into the shop and let them take care of it, they'll clean the sensor, clean the focusing screen, get all that taken care of, then I think that's your best advice. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, In fact, I remember a photographer telling me once that if you try to clean your own sensor too much, it causes blindness. Boom, boom. <laughs> Yikes. Derek, Derek, do you clean your own sensor? <laughs> Not at all, never. <laughs> Have you ever been caught cleaning your own sensor? I never. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I could not resist. Uh, I think Joseph's right on this. Uh, on the uh, XSI, I would send it in. You know what? They, the Canon guys are actually pretty good. They turn it around fast. They do a nice job. They don't overcharge you. You, you get your camera back and be all nice and clean. And I have a tip to go along with that on sensor dust. A lot of times that dust comes in on the back of your lens. Carry a, a blower bulb with you, whatever size sits in your thing. And so when you take the back lens cap off your lens before you mount it, blow it off, and then make sure that you know your camera isn't facing up so everything can fall into it. Uh, and then mount that lens. If you blow off the back of your lens every time before you mount it onto your camera, uh, you're going to have a lot less sensor dust to deal with. Cool. All right. Yeah, extending that tip, if you know, you're cleaning off the back of the the lens then the front of the lens as well but when you take those lens caps off where do you usually put them right they usually end up in your pocket Mm -hmm. which means they're going to get full of dust so keep in mind keep those clean as well because otherwise every single time you put the cap back on the lens all the dust is going to bounce from that cap onto the glass so keep them both clean and you'll save yourself a lot of headaches yeah yeah so agree cool all right listener question or listener uh, question number three is from richard thorklid or kidson 
Uh, I'm sorry for butchering your name, Richard. Um, but he says he's planning a trip to Alaska in December. He's going to be shooting the Northern Lights, etc. And he wants to know if there are any tips or advice in regards to Nikon safety or maybe a few tips on shooting. Now, you know, I, I don't think the, the camera brand is relevant <laughs> you know, to this but because, you know, what what's going to be safe for Nikon is safe for Canon. Uh, but, Derek, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Someone's taking a trip to, to shoot the Northern Lights. Um, how can he be safe, and how should he capture the Northern Lights, for example? Well, I, I think his biggest challenge is going to be nature and not so much, uh, you know, Alaska's not really known for, for stealing your camera bags uh, off your back. Yeah, yeah. There, Unless you got, you know... Uh, fish stored in there or something then maybe a bear would go after you yeah. but uh but i you know i think uh you know always use common sense when you're traveling and keep your bag close to you and all those good things and uh you know working for low pro i could even get even more specific on that advice no please but, do please do we, you know like well, like, think, like from a low pro standpoint because we i mean i love low pro i've been using them since geez since 1989 actually i'm dating myself uh, but what, you know, from a low pro standpoint, and Joseph wrote a beautiful blog post on thisweekinphoto.com that, that talks about some low pro gear. What, if this guy was going to, you know, get himself a bag, say he's going to treat himself to a brand new low pro bag to take to Alaska with him, then um, he wants to, you know, protect all his gear. So he's got two DSLRs, four or five lenses, maybe a strobe, um, and the assorted, assorted accessories that go with all those things. What kind of bag should he consider? Well, I like the bags, uh, especially for guys that you know aren't aren't having to do a, a professional shoot where they have you know a whole lot of gear. Uh, I like the bags you don't have to take off uh, your shoulder in order to get to your gear. In other words, you don't have to sit the bag down on the ground. You don't have to sit it down on the snow or whatever. And so, and so, Lopro has a number of bags like that. They have uh, one type called uh, the flip side, uh, which actually opens from the back, so you you swirl it around. And you can get to your gear, but it stays on you. Uh, they have these slingshots that are just fabulous uh, for that. They're a one-strap bag. You just sling it around, get your camera out, uh, shoot, 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 put the camera right back in. This is nice in inclement weather also because you don't have to have your camera exposed any more than, uh, than possible. And then they have uh, two others. One's uh, VersaPack that allows it's a little uh, backpack mm -hmm. uh, that you can get to your camera uh, from either side of it while you're still wearing it, even on your back. And they have one called a fast pack that does the same thing. So any of these bags that allow you to, to ac access your gear while the bag is still on you, I think that just makes it easier when you're in uh, these different types of locations. And uh, I think it's very helpful. And then obviously for um, just in terms of not setting your bag down, then, that helps eliminate the, the possibility of someone else walking off with it. You know, Joseph, I want to get you to chime in on this too. But before I do that, uh, Derek, one other question for you because you're, you're familiar with, you know, very familiar with the low pro line. Um, I'm looking for another low pro bag. This is a, this is a selfish personal question. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm experimenting with not bringing my laptop, you know. So I have a couple of low pro bags that have a, a area in them for me to slide a 15-inch uh, computer into it. Um, but I would like to, I know you could probably Jerry rig it to do this, but I would like one that's purpose built for me to slide an iPad in there somewhere, you know, and have it be protected, you know, and just be smaller. Cause I know the ones that are built specifically for, for laptops have to be big enough to pad that thing. And so you can slide sure. it in and all that. I want one that just has a slot that I can just throw my iPad in there and, you know, throw my camera connection kit in there and, and roll on. Do you know of any that are, that are 
design. Oh for that. yeah, oh yeah. Well, because you know this, you know, I'm traveling more and more like this myself uh, when I'm not on a professional shoot. And so, if you like a shoulder bag, uh, I really like the classified 160, and the iPad fits very nicely in in the front pouch there, nice and snugly. But yet, you can still have your DSLR uh, with a long lens on and so forth. And the bag doesn't look like a camera bag. That's what I like about it. And very low profile, uh, mm. very close to your body. Uh, there's also a a classified sling. Uh, the the classified sling 180 if you like a more of a, a a single sling bag that goes diagonally instead of a shoulder bag yeah like crosses uh, across your chest kind of thing crosses across your chest uh, really really nice uh for that uh those are those are two that come to mind right there and then you know offline we could we could get into a lot more okay cool joseph you're you're rolling around the country and you're going to photokina and all this stuff what any advice for for specifically for richard in terms of shooting the northern lights a and you know just continuing on to the discussion about camera bags to bring you know what are you bringing to uh to to uh, photokina with you Sure, sure. So as far as camera bags go, I know that the ProRunner X450 is the one that I just reviewed on This Week in Photo, and that's that's a big beast of a bag with roller wheels that carry all your gear around. Uh, the other bag that I'm using right now from Low Pro is the Classified Sling 220, which is that across the shoulder, you can sling it around and get the gear out of it without having to take it off your back. It's uh, probably one of their bigger ones. It's not the biggest one they have. So that's what I'll end up taking to Europe because I don't need all of my gear with me on that trip. Uh, so I'll just carry that, and that will carry my laptop as well. So that's a nice nice combination there. Carry the laptop and the uh, iPad, so that's, a nice combo in there. That's great. Yeah, right. um, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, as far as weather protection, one of the other nice things about these bags is they have uh, the ones that are designated AW, all weather, have a built-in rain cover, which is going to be useful in rain or snow. Of course, if you're going out to... Uh, excuse me, to Alaska or anywhere where you're going to be in the snow, then that's probably a good thing to have on there. Just keep some of that moisture off of the bag. Yeah. Great. Yeah, right. As far as shooting northern lights, I'm afraid I, I've never done that. Unfortunately, I would love to. Goodness. But you've so sat, you've sat in conditions that were challenging, like you know, in dark with lights and all that stuff. Like if you're sure, yeah, I I haven't seen the northern lights either. So just like if you're if you're taking photos of something that's moving in the sky because i know they move i don't know how fast they move but i know they they do move and they're up there and you you probably it's going to be sort of a um i would imagine sort of a magic hour kind of feel how would you capture a sort of a magic hour where you just wanted to get the sky in the scene you know regardless of sure. what's moving up there i think he's going to have to experiment with exposure a bit but i would imagine of course it's going to be a fairly long exposure which is going to mean you're going to want a tripod out there of course yep. and if you're using a tripod uh definitely advisable to have a cable release so that you're not pushing on the camera. A lot of people put cameras on the tripods and then they push the button on the camera itself. And part of the problem with that, of course, is you're moving the camera by doing that. You're physically pushing on the camera and it does move. It's a small amount of movement, but it is there and that can register. So you'll want to keep your hands off the camera. Use a cable release if you have one. And if you don't, don't forget you can use the self-timer on the camera. You know, I do that a lot. If I don't have the cable release handy or don't want to get it out, just set it to, you know, even just to take a two-second or a five or ten-second self-timer. Just press the button and then the camera has a chance to settle down before it captures the frame. So that's yep. definitely something to try out. Yes. Uh, also, I'd say if you're going to be shooting, you know, Northern Lights, you're obviously going to be shooting at night. So don't forget to have some kind of a little flashlight with you so you can see what you're doing. Um, if you get a flashlight with a red filter over it, then that won't mess up your night vision when you turn it on. Yeah, that's a that's a really good tip. So just say that last piece again because that, that went by fast about the, the night vision and, and yeah, why so, the red know, filter you, does that. 
Yeah, if you're – why, heck, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But if you uh, – as far as what happens, if you take a flashlight and obviously if you're out at night and your eyes are nicely adjusted to the evening light and you turn on a flashlight, suddenly your eyes readjust to that and then you turn the light off and you can't see anything anymore and your eyes have to readjust. But with the red filter over the light, um, again, I, I don't exactly know why that is, but uh, something to do with the spectrum of light. But it doesn't destroy your night vision like that. So you can yeah. have that red light, shine it around, see what you got to see, turn it off, and your vision will still be good. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, we, we learned that in the military. That's, uh, um, your, your eyes actually produce a chemical that, uh, that simulates or actually creates uh, the ability to see in, in dark. You know? so, um, and it's washed away when, when, the, when white light hits your eyes. It goes away. But when your eyes adjust, it produces this chemical that allows you to see better in dark. And red light, however, does not wash it away, which is why, you know, if you look in the cockpit of a, of a plane, all of the dials and instruments are kind of this amber red color because it won't, you know, mess with the pilot's night vision. And, you know, if you look in your car, most cars, the speedometer and all that stuff, when you turn the lights, the, the headlights at night, it's they glow kind of an amber red color so that it doesn't wash away your, uh, your night vision. So good, good tip, Joseph. Awesome. Great. One more thing I'll throw out there. Just two weeks ago on TWIP 164, we had a user with a question about shooting in cold weather. And there's, there's quite a bit of discussion about it. So I'd encourage you to listen to that episode if you haven't. And also in the show notes on This Week in Photo for episode 164, there's a summary in there of all the cold weather tips that we talked about. So definitely check that out. Perfect. All right, uh, it's that time on the show for the picks of the week. This is where um, each guest gives their pick. It can be a piece of software, hardware, some gear, a workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. And, Derek, since you haven't been on in a while, I'll throw it to you first. What's your pick of the week? Well, the, the thing that I've just been loving, and uh, I hear that they're still hard to get, but uh, the camera connection kit for the iPad mm-hmm. is uh, just... Uh, it's probably the best 29 bucks I've spent in a long time. And yep. it allows me to use everything from my 5D Mark II to my S90 uh, with the iPad in the field. And I'm just having a great time with it. And uh, if you're thinking about uh, you know, traveling a little bit lighter, leaving the laptop uh, at home, you don't have to do heavy photo processing on the road. The iPad's a great tool for that, especially the 3G models. And find a way to get your hands on that camera connection kit because you'll, you'll have a great time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I actually just used that on a plane uh, from Virginia yesterday. Took a bunch of pictures with my iPhone and uh, was sitting on the plane and decided, hey, I'm going to play with these. So, you know, plugged the iPhone into the iPad, imported all the images, and launched uh, Photogene and was able to edit everything and make a nice little gallery of images that are now sitting on my iPad waiting on me to upload to Flickr or wherever I'm going to share them from. So it was yeah. it's a clean experience. Joseph, I know you do that all the time, right? I mean, that's your part of your MO? Actually, no, not with the iPad. I still don't have a camera connection kit because, like Derek said, they're hard to come by. I know. I waited six by. weeks for mine. I, six weeks. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's funny. I was in the Palo Alto, uh, California uh, Apple store the other day, and they had a rack full of them. So, Derek, oh my God, you man. might want to head over there after this. <laughs> Should have bought them all, man. <laughs> I know. Put them on eBay. Yeah, put them in a This Week in Photo store. <laughs> yeah, really. No, I, I am heading to the Apple store this week. Um, it's got something else to pick up, so maybe they'll have them. If they do, I'll definitely pick one up. Very cool. All right, Joseph, what's your, what's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is a little bit old school. You may recall that before I did my drive across the country, I invested, and I use that term jokingly, in a uh, 
in a Holgate camera, a little plastic lens Chinese camera, 30 bucks for Sammy's, and shoots 120, which was kind of the fun thing. I wanted to get some big roll of film to put in there. So that was a lot of fun. But, of course, part of shooting film means that you have to have it processed and scanned if you want to uh, you know, play with those pictures on the computer. So my pick of the week is Sammy's camera has a mail-in service. You can mail in your film. They will process it. They'll print out a proof sheet if you want, and then they will scan them and put them onto a CD and send them back to you. So the uh, the cost of that, I think it was $8 for the processing for the black and white 120. It was just 6 bucks to get them scanned to CD. And they're fairly low res. You can't do really big prints, but you can do a higher res scanning if you want from there as well. And so the whole process is really cheap. $8 for processing, 6 for the scanning, and that was it, plus uh, mailing, of course. And you can download the order form from their website. Now, I don't know if the regular Sammy's.com has it, but I was in the Santa Barbara store, and it was where I bought the camera. And their website, Sammy's805, so S-A-M-Y-S-805.com, is where you'll find the, uh, the download form for that store. Perfect. And we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes, of course. That's awesome. All right, my pick is uh, you know my pick is a pick and a challenge. So the uh, many of the photographers that have, that listen to the show may have seen these things. These are the Nikon and the Canon seventy to two hundred millimeter thermos bottles. So they are thermoses that look exactly like these seventy to two hundred millimeter lenses. Which you know when you're sitting in meetings or meeting with clients or whatever, it'll give you a certain amount of uh, cachet. You know. <laughs> your lens or a lens sitting there that you're sipping your latte out of. So these, these things are cool. And I know we, we talked about them briefly before, but I'm going to order. Um, I ordered actually the Nikon one. Um, and I know a couple of other folks ordered the Canon one, but what I'd like to do for this show, I'd like to give away a Nikon and a Canon one. So we're going to, this week in photo is going to give away a Nikon 7,200 millimeter thermos bottle and a Canon 70 to 200 millimeter thermos bottle. Um, and we're, how we're going to select the winner is the post, the blog post for this episode. All you have to do is comment on it and say that you want to win. That's it. That's all you got to do. If you're listening to this on the webpage right now, just scroll down and leave a comment that says, I want to win. Um, and in a week or so, we will randomly pick a winner from all the comments that are, have been posted and we'll ship you off one of these things. So good luck. That's my pick. It's a pick and a challenge. How's that? Derek, are you, do you are you going to get one of these things? I know you've seen them. If you don't already have yeah. one, you're going to get one. I know. I was just thinking, you know, I'm going to comment here in just a few minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we win? <laughs> and I'm going to say, uh, I only drink Canon. Uh, so. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, be careful where you carry these things around. You may start a fight. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do not use these next to a flight line or anything. Right. <laughs> don't be sipping your coffee next to the flight line. You get bothered by the TSA. <laughs> Don't confuse it for your, you know, real lens and pour hot coffee into your oh. seventy two hundred. <laughs> yeah, we Hopefully will. They're not that realistic. <laughs> they are actually. Uh, look at those photos; they're they're incredible. Um, but yeah, we'll link to both of those, the Canon and the Nikon version, in the show notes. And again, if you want to win one, we're going to give give two of these things away: the Nikon and the Canon version. Uh, initially, I was just going to give a Nikon one away, but uh, <laughs> you know, I decided I did not want to start any sorts of uh, fights or anything. All right, guys, we are at the end of the show, unfortunately. Um, this has been a good one. Lots of lots of information, giveaways and tips and all that good stuff. Uh, but, Derek, if folks are looking for you online, they want to continue their digital relationship with you, how do they do that? Well, they can go to thedigitalstory.com, and uh, everything everything flows through that site. Very cool, The Digital Story. 
And Joseph, where where can people keep up with your travels and exploits and tips and tricks and all that stuff? They can keep up with all that on my blog, confessionsofatravelljunkie.com. And those uh, those photos that I just talked about that were scanned in, I'll have those things up there. So you can head on over there and check them out and see what the photos look like off of that funny little plastic camera. Wonderful. Cool. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and much, much more. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakov.